This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Because if you don't know your history, you don't know your future. And your future is to be what happened the early days under Martin and Jimmy Murphy without doubt and, and, and telling them that what Jimmy did about planting seeds of the, the history that is the most important thing you can do with young players coming to my United tell them what the, their expectation is to realise the expectation this is what for a point for my United there's no point for Bolton Wonders or Burry or, or Rochdale it's a point for the biggest club in the world This is an episode focusing on Manchester United's best 11, a series focusing on Manchester United's best 11. I'm Wayne Barton, I'm with Paddy Barclay. How are you, sir? Very well indeed, thanks. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, we're joined by a very special guest today. Um, in deciding topics for a new series of podcasts, we had an ambitious one with an ambitious, desirable guest for the first, um, for the opening swing of it, really. And the topic is your best ever Manchester United team picked by famous names of Manchester United past. I've been fortunate enough to write a few books on United and I follow them for all of my life. Um, Paddy's covered the club for even longer than I've been alive and, has co- of course, has written some definitive books on the club as well and certain individuals. Who work for the club? Both of us, though, bow our heads when it comes to knowledge of the club. And when it comes to our guest, former chairman of Manchester United, Martin Edwards. Martin, it's an absolute delight that you've joined us. Uh, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Brilliant. Um, so the rules are effectively there are none, um, <laughs> or you create your own. As much as you're the perfect guest for us, Martin, I imagine that it's not um, a very easy task that we've presented you with. Um, it's probably easier than you think because I think great players do tend to to stand out, uh, but it's it's difficult in the sense that you're also leaving great players out as well because of the the, the, uh, the difficult choice. Um, but I did it for my uh, for my book uh, a few years ago, and uh, I've not altered my opinions from that day. So for me, it's quite an easy task now because I've, I've already been through the exercise. Tied, uh, tried and uh, trusted them with Martin's um, selection. Um, it's an interesting thing we've talked about this. We we had a sort of brief run through before, and I, of course, I've read Martin's book as of Paddy's. Um, Red Glory, yeah, very, very good read, by the way, if anybody hasn't read it, yep. um, I would highly recommend it. The first thing is, Paddy, um, I guess before we even get to the players, you talk about the, the shape of the team, and when you look at the shape of the team, um, and we'll ask, ask Martin in a moment what what he's gone with when it comes to the eleven. but what would you class as the sort of definitive, because there have been a couple that have won European Cups, it's not an obvious, I mean if you look at the first European Cup it's a 4-3-3 if you look at the yes. the last couple that United played in with Ronaldo it was a 4-3-3, they've only ever played 4-4-2 which is their traditional shape in one European Cup final really Yeah, I don't want to preempt Martin's choice but my guess <coughs> Knowing him is that he will pick a team 
that is that could go out and play. In other words, what I find when, when, I'm, when I'm doing with mates, uh, you know, greatest world greatest team that I've ever seen, I end up with a team that really wouldn't, would probably lose because it's all attackers and no defenders. Um, but knowing Martin and uh, knowing having actually read his book, and uh, so I've got an inkling of what he's going to go for. Um, I think he'll pick a team that could actually go out and play a team that is quite balanced but uh, let's see that's up to the man himself yeah Martin what I am really fascinated about uh, away from the individuals is the fact that you went for everything about the team screams quintessential Manchester United and that does go right down to the formation Um, tell us about the formation and was it important to you to have that formation when selecting the team um, well, because I've got sort of versatile players, it's you know whatever whatever you put out, they can adapt during a game. But I've basically gone for a four-two-four. I've gone for uh, a team that I think can can uh, it's got it's strong enough in defence uh, with two very strong midfield players and four attacking players up front. So I've gone for four-two-four. But actually, if you actually look at the balance of it, it's probably four-two-three with one up front. So, you know, you can play around with, with, with numbers all day and call them what you like, but it's, I've, I've gone for an attacking side, but I've also got plenty of depth in defence as well. Yeah, especially when you look at some of the players there, the, the, the multidiscipline, they can play in different areas, and that's one of the great things that I loved about this, Paddy. I mean, when we were talking to Martin before this, it's yeah. almost a bit strange how <laughs> revolutionary some aspects of it. We haven't even seen them in football yet, but when you look at it, you think, oh, it's actually quite revolutionary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a fascinating selection. So we'll start with the goalkeeper then. Obviously, United have had um, a number of great goalkeepers. A couple, you know, they've broken the world transfer record for a couple of them as well. Um, and those goalkeepers over a certain period have almost like um, recycled themselves in a way. We, we, Paddy and I have talked about how Ari Gregg was... Um, Samat Busby's Peter Schmeichel and then yeah. and then Alex said he was almost like a Van der Sar and you had that kind of um, area in repeat really under under Sir Alex Ferguson as well so many uh, so many great names to pick from um, Martin how difficult was it for you to pick the name and who did you go for in the end well uh, I mean uh, you've mentioned a couple of goalkeepers there that, that were on my list I mean when I first started watching United Harry Gregg was the first choice goalkeeper and he was a British record fee when we bought him. I think it was some like twenty-three thousand or twenty-three and a half thousand pounds from Doncaster, mm. um, and uh, he was he was the, the man in, the man in goal when I started watching. Shortly afterwards, in the sixties, Alex Stepney came in. Of course, he was our goalkeeper when, when we won the uh, European Cup. And then in the eighties, you had Gary Bailey who came into uh, consideration. Um, but uh, then, then, of course, you had the Peter Schmeichel era and followed by Van der Sar. So you've got five or six very good goalkeepers there. Uh, and, of course, today you've got uh, David De Gea, mm-hmm. who is uh, no slouch himself and has had a, had a great career at United as well. I think he's been player of the year like four times. But of, the, of those six that I've, I've mentioned, I think the two absolute standouts for me were Peter Schmeichel and uh, Van der Sar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, again, I don't think there's a huge difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually believe that if, if uh, Van der Sar had come in immediately when Schmeichel retired, United would have won uh, more honours. I think there may have been a couple of European Champions Leagues for us in there. Um, but it was close, uh, but I, I went for Peter Schmeichel. 
I thought he was absolutely dominant there in the 90s, which was United's most successful era ever. But I, So I picked him as my first choice, but I put Van der Sar on the bench. And it, it wouldn't bother me if, 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 uh, which one played, to be honest. It's interesting, isn't it, Paddy? Um, yeah. Peter Schmeichel. Um, and we've just finished a series looking at um, Sir Alex's early years. Mm. And it's difficult to overstate how Schmeichel influenced that team and how he changed it. I mean, we talk about revolutionising goalkeeping. I don't want to start saying every Manchester United player was revolutionary. But Schmeichel, with, in terms of his frame, really, in a way, not so much the way that he played, apart from the, the, mass, the fact that his size and the fact he had mm. these massive arms meant that he could throw the ball 60 yards instead of kicking yeah. it 60 yards. So it was more like his, his physicality, which was um, redefining the position, wasn't it? Yes, it's funny you talk about his distribution. I, I remember at times, once or twice when I was a journalist, uh, uh, not exactly criticising him, but saying that he over, uh, he over hit his passes. Uh, uh, you know, there were throws. He would, he would actually bypass the strikers and it'd go to the other keeper. Uh, he had such strength in his arms. But uh, no, uh, 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 definitely a goalkeeper who had everything. And um, But I, I'm still... Uh, delighted that Martin ran him so close with Edwin van der Sar. Mm. I've had lots of um, arguments with United fans ab- about this, and and to me, yes, I, I, they were almost even, Stephen. Um, and and some people have said, nah, it's Michael, much better, blah blah blah. You know, with all due respect to van der Sar, and uh, nobody's ever said he's anything other than a superb goalkeeper. But the the, the sort of idolatry of of um, of Schmeichel was, is, is so great in his place in the United's history. So I shall be strengthened by uh, the authority of C. Martin Edwards in future arguments. Uh, and uh, uh, this, will, this will throw me back into the goalkeeper arguments with renewed strength. I think that although a more subtle goalkeeper than... Um, uh, or a less demonstrative goalkeeper than Schmeichel, van der Sar was one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah, Schmeichel for me was the best. Um, but yes. they, again, I'm, I'm talking from a United supporter perspective. Um, I'd be really interested to know more. And while we are on Schmeichel, because obviously you give sort of less time to a goalkeeper, that's the nature of the beast. And um, when you talk about outfield players, they get a little bit more glory. But Peter Schmeichel made a couple of um, incredible saves at United. Um, there was one that he made at Rapid Vienna, which was Gordon Banks esque, where the ball was on the ground um, and he managed to claw it away. And then there was one against Inter Milan where he did. I always seem to remember him doing the star jump, and I can't ever remember it working actually, apart from the time he did it against Ivan Zamorano um, against Inter Milan, where he made the goal um, look tiny because of his massive frame. I was wondering if, if either of those were your favourite save from Peter, or did he perhaps have, a, have another one? Peter made so many great saves, and of course he made a couple of great saves in the final um, when we won yeah. the, 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 the Champions yeah. League. So he was just a great goalkeeper, right? and as you say, his presence, he did do that star jump and everything else. But I think he... I think he terrified. I mean, he terrified his own defence. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm certainly terrified the uh, opposing uh, attackers because he was just he he, he was uh, so determined and, and he was a giant of a man. I mean, six foot four, and he was like built built a bit like a heavyweight boxer. So, with him coming at you at, 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 at speed, uh, you know, he, he certainly uh, put put some opposing centre forwards off. So, I think he was just a great a, a big presence in that goal, wasn't he? 
Yeah, it absolutely was. What was he like as a person? And you talk about this fiery character who, yeah, we all remember him barking at the, the defenders, <laughs> often when it was his own fault, he'd throw a few verbal volleys out there. But what was he like as a person? Off the field, I, I always got on very well with Peter, and, and I, I always thought I had a very good relationship with him. And I asked him to actually write the forward to my book, and, mm. and he, he was very willing to do it. He didn't want any assistance. He said, no, he'd like to do it himself. So I, I had... Uh, he was an intelligent man, Peter Schmeichel. Um, you know, you could have a, a negotiation with him. He didn't need a lot of people around him. You know, he could stand up for himself. So yeah. um, he was just very, very well-rounded, I thought. Brilliant. Um, when you look through the team, Paddy, um, as, yeah. as, as, you know, we have done already, and I know we're going to talk about some great players, but I'm really bemused by the area of the team that we're going to talk about next, the fullbacks. It's, this is the thing that really struck me from the conversations that we've had with Martin and looking at it in, in his book. It's like, this is the revolutionary idea for me because um, I don't want to spoil it by talking about the fullbacks, but um, it's just a great selection, isn't it? Yes. I think that one of the most... Uh, I'll leave it to Martin to to go th- to, to flesh out the detail, but one of the players who I'm certain will be in his mix, probably, possibly in his team, is one of the most underrated <coughs> players in the history of Manchester United and the best player in his position, which is fullback, that I've ever seen play for Manchester United. Yeah. Uh, but I'll leave it up to Martin to, um, to, to talk in detail. Yeah, let's run through them then, Martin. I mean, you've got some incredible selections here. Some of those players who, the fullbacks tend to be more durable at United. There's some that um, are ranking in the top 20 appearance makers, probably three or four of them in there. Um, how did you come to your selection? Who were the, the two that you've gone for in the end? Through all the different eras. And, of course, when I started watching United... Um uh, Shea Brennan and Tony Dunn were the were the fullbacks, and they were the fullbacks that actually played in the final, uh, the European Cup in '68. In fact, Francis Burns had actually played every game in in the uh, in the competition. I think until the final, mm-hmm. when uh, Matt decided to sw- switch Tony Dunn from left back to right back, um, uh, and brought in uh, sorry from. Uh, so Tony right Bidon was playing right back, yeah. Burns was playing right left back, back. and yeah. he, he switched them so that he could bring Shea Brennan's experience in for the final. So Francis Burns was very, very unlucky, really, not to mm. not to play. Uh, so they were the two fullbacks in the 60s. I think in the 70s, I think of Jimmy Nicholl was played was a useful fullback around about that time, mm. and then in the 80s you had Mickey Duxbury came in for a while, John Gidman came in for a while, um, but I suppose Gary Neville was the was the main one in the 90s. He seemed to sort of uh, make that position his own, not just for Manchester United, but for England. So Gary came into the into the reckoning as well. If you look at uh, uh, left backs, then I mean a great left back o- over the over the years has been was was Evra. Mm. Uh, and so I would say that those it came down to those four. But in the end, I went for what I, for the two most versatile fullbacks. I think Paddy was referring before when he talked about the, the, his greatest fullback for Manchester United was Tony Dunn, yes, and he's yes, certainly in, in my team as well. So I've put him at left back. I couldn't leave Dennis Irwin out because I thought I thought those those were probably the two best fullbacks, but certainly the two most versatile. Yeah. So in in the in the end, I went for the, the versatility. So I went for Tony Dunn at left back, and I went for Dennis Irwin at uh, right back. 
And, and I think they could switch just as easily yes. if one got injured or whatever. You know, they, they could switch around and you could bring somebody else in. So I've gone for, for, for versatility, really. But I also believe that they were probably the two uh, most talented fullbacks. Yeah, seven out of tens every week, Paddy, with those two. And the thing is, when you're talking about players who... You you might take one player out for a game. Like I, I can remember um, Rafael de Silva telling me that he would get taken out of games where he knew that where Sir Alex knew that there was going to be a lot of corners because Chris Smalling would be better at playing a right back in that situation. Yeah. With Tony Dunn and Tenny, uh, Dennis Irwin, um, there's no need to take them out of the team. You just switch them round if you think one of them is going to have. If they, I yes. mean, and, and then it's difficult to find an opponent where you would think they would be embarrassed by them. Yes, absolutely. Um, both footballers as well. Um, Dunn has the edge for me. Um, <coughs> I, I don't know why. Probably maybe because he he was, uh, you know, more compact, uh, an absolutely brilliant defender. Not that Dennis Irwin wasn't. Um, I mean, they'd both be in my list of best um, fullbacks that I've ever seen in, in English football. They'd both be in my top six, actually, or five, probably. Um, so, you know, you really couldn't say a word against them, but they were footballers. There was absolutely uh, uh, no question. Uh, in, and and we, we talked, uh, uh, Martin talked about in the goalkeeping section about Alex Stepney, and rightly so. Um, but uh, Alex would tell you that uh, he, would, he would never be in any doubt uh, about hurling the ball out to Tony Dunn under any pressure because he was so had such good control was so unflustered and uh, one other little detail about Tony Dunn have another look at, at Alex's save Alex Stepney's save from Eusebio and I'm sure that, that Eusebio is hurried into hitting that shot a little earlier than he otherwise would enabling Alex to save and United to go on to win it um, against Benfica uh, by the positional play of Tony Dunn as he comes across to uh, to cover, uh, absolutely sensational player. And all I can say, you say they were both seven out of tens every game. They were Irwin and Dunn probably eights most of the time. Um, mm. But I'd give uh, I'd give Mr. Edwards ten out of ten for his <laughs> good judge for his good judge. Yeah, I think I, I'm probably doing them a disservice with that. Well, I'm talking about reliability and, and durability as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. They never they never went below seven. That's 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 the truth. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and you know, the the, the complementary side of it is Owen possibly a better footballer than Dunn, but Dunn had a little bit more when it came to athleticism. You know, yeah. Dunn would be a bit of a liner. Um, and I say a liner, as much as a fullback would be, he was a little bit more athletic than Irwin. Not to say that Irwin wasn't athletic, but you saw Irwin mix it up in, in becoming a footballer as well. And that's why they were so good interchangeable. Irwin brilliantly both-footed, and, um, and Dunn certainly wouldn't let you down on either side either. Um so that takes us to the centre off centre and centre off a position that's changed over the years, Paddy. Um, before we actually talk to Martin about the the identity of those players, it's strange um, when you look at this modern formation because that's what it is. People look at the sort of post sixties, and it's a traditional four four two. But it's mm. difficult um, for some people to sort of comprehend that formations defensively after the war defensively was the biggest shake-up in terms of um, how positioning yeah. changed, wasn't yes. it? Yes, that's true. 
Um, certainly since the 1920s, um, when, you know, the, the third back, sorry, the, the, the centre-back um, moved. Uh, centre-back used to be a midfield position. Mm. Um, uh, so certainly since then, the period, I mean, people look back at, at, at great events that happened in the 60s, often at Wembley, the Man United, England winning the World Cup, uh, and so on. And um, what, what younger people might not know is that, is that those players were coping with an evolution in the shape of teams. You know, the, the, I mean, Martin's picked 4-2-4. Four, four four. Um, and that was, that was coming in at that time. It had been probably, you know, it had swept the board, really, since mm-hmm. Brazil used it in 1958 World Cup. Uh, the 4-2-4, actually, it was 4-2-4. It was Martin's... Martin's yeah. system. He's stealing from the Brazilians here. <laughs> anyway, um, so they were coping. Nobby Styles was, was, you know, moving, moving back um, was an example of that. Um, because I, I'm pretty sure when Bill Fulkes started playing, he would have been a, a lone centre half. Martin might correct me on that. I think I, Fulkes I actually started as a fullback, and Jimmy he, he re- retrained him. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the back four was just evolving during. I mean, it had pretty well evolved during the sixties, but that was that was the, the new system. But anyway, interesting to see who uh, Martin picks, but uh, because he's got one hell of a choice. Yeah. And you think of centre backs at Man United, it's very difficult to avoid thoughts of uh, of the nineteen ninety four team, the, the Ferguson's first great team. But anyway. Uh, 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 I just want to hear who Martin's going for. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though. You mentioned Styles, you mentioned Folks. That's two centre offs who won the European Cup in in the sixties. Um, but United, like you said, they've got rich pickings from centre off. So uh, Martin, um, where where did you start with this one? Uh, it's funny how you talk about Folks and Styles because uh, when I first started, started, well, Ronnie Cope was the centre half. Cope and Crowther were the centre halves when I started watching. But oh, yeah. during the sixties, United's success was was Folks and Styles were the two centre halves. And as you say, it's changed now because uh, I mean, Nobby Styles played in midfield for England in the World Cup, but exactly. he was he was a great a great. Great alongside Falks, you know they, they, they were a great pair in the sixties. Then you had the seventies, and you had then again you had Buchan and Greenough. You hadn't got a giant amongst those two, and they played together for a long while. Um, so it, it, the game has changed, and of course you had Jim Holton who came in there for a little while, um, and then in the a bit later on Gordon McQueen. We bought Gordon Queen, which was a record fee at the time, half a million pounds. He came in for a while. Um, and then, of course, you had um, Alex Zira. Uh, the beginning of Alex Zira, you had Pallister and Bruce <coughs> playing together. They were a great partnership, um, uh, you know, winning trophies together and all the rest of it. And then after that, a bit later on, you had uh, Stam and uh, Jonsson, who, of course, um, mm-hmm. did the treble. They, they were the two centre house when we did the treble, and we won the league three years on the run 99, 2000, and 2001. And then after that, you you had uh, Ferdinand and Vidic. So, you know, some some great partnerships and some great uh, great individual players there. So, I had to sort of pick the best out of them, and I, and I came up with probably four names at the end that that, that, that I thought challenge, really challenged for that position. And I came up with um, uh, Pallister, Vidic, Ferdinand, and Stam. 
and then I had to pick what I, who I thought could would make the best combination. And I think probably the outstanding centre-back for me of all of them was probably Yapstam. Mm. So I put him in as right-sided centre-back, and then I thought, well, who will complement him? Which then rather ruled out Vidic, so it be, then became Pallister. And I just thought Rio was the probably, probably the more versatile of the two. So in the end, I went for uh, Stam and uh, Rio Ferdinand, because I thought they'd be a great combination, right and, right and left. And you've got the stopper there, and you've also got the distributor there. So I just thought that helped the, uh, the balance of the team. But I also picked Vidic then as the reserve centre-back. And I picked Martin Buchan also uh, as, a, as a reserve centre-back, because he could play left-sided centre-back, but he could also cover the, the left-back position. And he, he, either uh, if Irwin or Dunn got injured, Martin, back, Martin Buchan could fill in at left-back. And you could just switch the full-back, you could just switch the, the left-back if needed be to right-back because they were so versatile. That's the thing with them, though, um, Paddy. <laughs> Irwin and Dunn never did get injured. They, they play the, they'll play the five or six hundred games. That's a fair point. And went, and went on to prove that there was life after Manchester United because both played in the top division for other clubs afterwards, Bolton and Wolves, respectively. Yeah. But, yeah, the, the, the thing I, I mentioned about, about Dunn was the neatness and tidiness. And... Um, it, it, wonderful of Martin to mention uh, Martin Buchan mm. so highly in his all-time list because uh, you, you know, da, like Dunn, uh, Buchan was just immaculate. Um, everything he did, there wasn't a wasted movement really in in what he did because so much was done in his brain. Um, so I'm really pleased, but um, also very pleased with Martin's selection of Stam. Because Stam, although he wasn't a fancy player, and that he was solid, he was as solid as he looks. You know, mm. he was he was he was Bill Fulk solid. He was you know he 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 really was not a guy to mess with. He was also a very good footballer. You know, how many times can you remember Stam giving a silly ball away? Uh, uh, I can't. I can't remember any. Um, uh, I mean, he was he was totally reliable. Uh, and a footballer, uh, someone who wouldn't necessarily be extravagant in his in, in his passing, but who would give it to somebody who could uh, do that. Um, so absolutely great selection there, um, and Rio Ferdinand as well, because although Rio Ferdinand was famous all through his career, was noted for being a, a ball playing centre half, Alex Ferguson uh, curbed that side of his game. I mean, I think Rio would have liked to be, when he was at West Ham, would have liked to have developed into a, a libero, you know, a, a, mm. player, a playmaker from the back, a la Ronald Koeman. But uh, Alex uh, insisted that the needs of the team would be met if Rio concentrated on his game, uh, game reading and physical attributes. And, you know, uh, apart from the European Cup final, where he got out-jumped by Lionel Messi, he wasn't <laughs> out-jumped by Lionel Messi, but Lionel Messi scored a heading got goal against Rio. Uh, it's probably the one thing he'd like to take out of his CV, but well, a wonderful footballer. You know, you just, uh, for, for all his, his uh, technical ability, Rio, he concentrated, certainly for, for his, during his Manchester United and England career, on doing what a centre-half supposed to be. So... Yeah, tremendous uh, combination at the back. And, and, oh, by the way, just one brief little thing. Um, I, I know Vidic can do no wrong in, in Man United's 
uh, fans' mind and the fact that he was first reserve at centre-back. In other words, the third best centre-back of Martin Edwards' um, you know, era of being a fan um, you know, it kind of reflects that. But for me, if he had a fault, it was that he, a rashness, which Stam never had, that he might, you know, he might not be on the park, you know, because he might get a second yellow or something like that, which happened to him a couple of times in high-profile matches. Uh, but but Stam, no, Stam's judgment was just that wee bit superior. Yeah, a game against Liverpool wasn't complete without uh, with a Vidic <laughs> without a Vidic red card, was it? With Vidic, exactly. Vidic, he always got always first in the bath. The the, the mention of Ferdinand um, as a sort of the redefinition of him as a centre half, I, I do find that fascinating because that was something that over the years. I can remember a quote from um, Sir Alex. He mentioned about Paolo Maldini, um, about how he never looked to have any dirt on his shirt. And I, I'm sure that he gave some of that advice to Ferdinand. And over that period where you you were talking about where Ferdinand seemed to... He all, always had those attributes, don't get me wrong, but when he was maturing into a top centre-off, um, into that's that's period between the European Cup finals, basically, from 2008 to 2011, where he, he really came into his own. I did um, a study on him because I was thinking, I, I'm sure there's something of the Maldini in, in this. And the point that Ferguson was making was that Maldini never had to make a tackle because he read the ball so well. And I studied two months of Ferdinand before one Christmas and he didn't make a tackle within two months. Mm. It's an extraordinary statistic for a centre half, but that, that was how good Ferdinand's reading of the game became. And, you know, a lot of people sort of would joke about his rashness, not his rashness, but they the thought he was a better player than what he was sometimes. But I, th- I think not a lot of credit was given to him for that um, intelligence which he developed right, in the, his play. The reading of the game. Was, yeah. So, yeah, I, I would go with that. I mean, Dunn, Ferdinand, Stam, Irwin, whichever whichever way you want to put those full-backs, um, that, that's a, an extraordinary back line for me. He's got a pace, physicality, um, power, everything's in there. And then a great reading of the game from all four players at Stam as well you mentioned Stam um, a little bit more I just think that there was something extra about Stam to Vidic and I certainly agree with what you were saying there Paddy Um, physicality and power um, when you look at United's midfield choice um, when you look at Martin's midfield choice those are the two um, attributes that really stand out Martin United have had so many good midfielders and again, this is, might be an area where you might be tempted to sort of move one player into a, another position, sort of accommodate them. But um, good grief, you look at that um, those two players, and it's really quintessential United. Um, so talk me through the names that you were considering and why you went with the two that you went with in the end. Well, I thought the the outstanding um, uh, midfielder of the 1960s was probably Paddy Crowe. And uh, they they always used to say that if Paddy Crowe played well, Manchester United played well. And he certainly was very instrumental in winning, as winning the FA Cup in 63 and the uh, European Cup in 68 and a couple of leagues in between. He was probably the outstanding midfield player in that, in, in that side, although Bobby could play midfield or up front or whatever else. In the 17, Tommy Dock's era, you had... Um, people like Jimmy Green, Offaloo, Macari and, and McElroy and players like that. Not necessarily outstanding players, but they were a very good team without necessarily the outstanding individuals. If you go to the 
80s, then you, of course Robson came into it then and, and Norman Whiteside and, um, and I, I, the player I liked very much in the 80s was Arnold Muren. I thought his skill level was, 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 was fantastic. Um, if you then come to the 90s, of course, Robson was still playing. You had Keane in there, you had Ince in there and you had Scholes in there. All played a big part in, in, in winning trophies in the, in the 90s. Um, and of course, um, Scolzi continued to play in the noughties as well. So, uh, and, and so did Keane for, for the first few years of that. Uh, more, more recently, you've had Carrick who's come into it and all the rest of it. But I think if you're actually picking outstanding individuals, uh, then I, I think Captain Fantastic Robson has to come into the mix there, probably on, on left side of, of midfield. You then come down to the choice of Keane of Keen or Skulls for me. They, they're the two outstanding midfielders of, 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 of the, those eras. Uh, a very, very difficult choice, uh, really. So I've actually gone for Keane with Skulls on the bench. Uh, but, you know, you could play any, any two of those three and uh, you'd have a fantastic mid- midfield. And that's leaving out great players like Paddy Creeran. So uh, that, that, those were the uh, the three that I came up with. Uh, first choice, Keane and uh, Robson. Incredible selection, that Keane and Robson. And it's only when you, you sort of reduce all the other names and you just take two names on the merit for what they they were, Paddy, Keane and Robson, yeah. and how good they were. And then you look at the selection. I mean, it's lucky that Martin's such good friends with Martin Buck and, and Paddy Creran because you wouldn't <laughs> want to leave them out of any team, <laughs> would you? Um, I, I certainly wouldn't. But, yeah, I, you can't argue with Keane and Robson. One, one thing, uh, what would you um, say about, about that selection, Paddy? I mean, it's, it's difficult to argue with. Oh, it's a it's a very good selection. It continues Martin's uh, theme of of not sacrificing um, uh, practicality for flair. A wonderful combination, right left combination, as Martin mentioned. Um, you couldn't leave Keen out for me um, if you were trying to build a balanced team. And at the moment, the team is still perfectly balanced. Um, uh, I think uh, you simply can't argue with his choice. I I think Keen. Uh, for sheer consistency over the period of his service to Manchester United would edge it over Scholes for me, although Scholes obviously a more extravagantly gifted player. People, again, we, we talked about Rio um, coming under the Ferguson influence and, and tailoring his game to the needs of the team. Uh, I think that's certainly uh, true of, of Scholes and certainly of, of Keane, mm. who obviously came to United's Attention when at Nottingham Forest, where he was a very he would he would be in among the strikers. You know he was all, he was hungry for goals at Nottingham Forest. People forget that, and that he only became uh, what you might call a, a, um, a, a you know the cement of the team, the 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 the, the leader of the team and the, the responsible leader of the team, um, uh, because because Ferguson considered that was what the team needed. Um, uh, so yeah, definitely, uh, definitely agree with that selection. And so uh, you know, with the, the front, sorry, the back seven of this team so far makes me think that that Martin was probably the the best manager Man United never had. <laughs> he, was too, he was too modest uh, to pick the team himself. 
<laughs> I thought, although, although Michael Knighton might not have been so shy, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's I, all I can say is, yeah, great, great selection again. The one bone of contention, that, well, not bone of contention really, but one thing that you raised in when we were planning this paddy was the the omission of Duncan Edwards. Um, I'd be interested to know, Martin's, um, Martin, if you could talk us through the the reason for why he didn't really factor in the team and some of the other Munich lads as well. Well, I mean, I, 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 my brief was was really since I've been watching, and I started watching in 1958. Just after the Munich crash, I, I, you know, I, I had been to a game before when I was seven years old against mm-hmm. Wolves in 1952. But I and my father went on the board just after the day after the Munich air crash. So mm-hmm. that's when I started going. I was 12 years old uh, in 1958, and uh, that's when I started watching. So I never saw Duncan play, but uh, you know, if, if 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 I had to consider the Munich team, there's probably three players there that would come into consideration. Mm. I think Roger Byrne would come into consideration at left-back. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying he would have got in, he might have got in, and we might have moved one of the others to right-back or whatever, but he'd have been in contention. I think Duncan Edwards, I think, would certainly have been in the team, because everybody I've ever spoken to about Duncan Edwards, they always said that they, they, they thought he was the greatest Manchester United player ever. And I once sat next to Billy Wright at a dinner, an FA dinner, and of course, uh, Duncan Edwards, Billy Wright was number five centre half. Duncan played alongside him for England 19 times before. He, he was capped when he was 18. He died at 21. He'd already played 19 times uh, for, for England, 18, 19 times. And I asked Billy Wright, how good was he? And uh, Billy Wright said he was the best player he ever played with or against. Wow. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, I have a picture in my house. He said, I'll tell you how, Duncan, how good Duncan was. He said, I have a picture in my house on the wall. And he said, Duncan is coming away with the ball. I'm in the picture watching. The Scottish inside forward is on the ground. Duncan is coming away with the ball at his feet. And he's turning round and he's talking to the Scottish inside forward on the floor. He said, I had that up there because that was what that was the level I tried to reach. He said, I never got there. <laughs> That's a wonderful story. That really is. But uh, I, I, all I would say about Duncan Edwards, who, who I never saw as well, but just uh, any young person or or even older person who's there, Google Duncan Edwards' goal, Berlin, and you'll see a goal he scored when he was still a teenager against the world champions, West Germany, um, in which a few of them tried to take him out. Well, of course, the players in England very quickly learned, don't even bother trying, you know, because he's, as well as being uh, very gifted, he was, he was as tough as teak. Um, and he scores this, he runs through the German team, starting at the centre circle, and then when he's within about 22, he unleashes a shot of which Bobby Charlton would have been proud. Um, and the, I swear that the ball is squirming around, spinning around the back of the net before the goalkeeper's dive is finished. Um, and no backlift um, uh, uh, from Edwards as he shot. I mean, just fantastic. And I never saw him, Martin, I think. Did you see him once? Oh, I didn't, no, no. The, the, the other player who would come into contention in that team, of course, was Tommy Taylor, who had a fantastic ratio of goals to games, probably, probably the best. Mm. So he, he would have been... In, 
in, in the nomination somewhere up front, yeah. Um, Matt, when he, Matt first retired, Martin may remember this, in 69. Well, obviously, you'll remember Matt retiring because you had to help deal with it. But um, uh, the, um, he was asked to pick his best team, and I don't know whether he'd been primed, but he, he rolled off a team at his, at his press conference, you, you know, basically as Martin is doing now, the best of his time. And he included... Uh, I, I wish I could remember it. I could probably look it up. But he included, um, outside left, Charlie Mitten, who he actually bombed out of the club. <laughs> but he he still had a, such a high regard. And, of course, I, I, Duncan Edwards was not only on his team sheet, but I would bet my life that he was the first name on that team sheet. Mm. Um, Martin mentioned the strikers so let's get on to those because we've got four players left in the team the the strikers and the wingers and with wingers being such a quintessential United position I I thought we'd go with the strikers first of all Um, again I mean Martin so many names you've got the top so many players who've scored so many goals for the club over the years Um, this is when I looked at your selection. I was thinking it's it's a great selection again. But um, t- tell us through how, how you omitted some of those names. Well, again, when I first started watching, Dennis Farlett was the uh, the centre forward, and of course, Dennis, Dennis Farlett was Tommy Taylor's partner up front prior mm. to the Munich crash. So, and uh, he he still holds actually the club goal scoring record in a season, thirty two goals. Nobody's actually. Uh, top that, although uh, Ronaldo got very close a couple of years, a few years ago um, so you had Violet in, in the 60s um, in the uh, the 70s of course you had Stuart Pearson came in and scored mm-hmm. a lot of goals you had Greenoff in there and, and Pearson were probably the two front two uh, in the 80s you had Norman White side up there uh, you know, and then in the 90s you had Mark Hughes up there and all the rest of it um, but, but of course, in the, in the 60s, you also had uh, Dennis Law. Dennis Law and David Hurd were a great partnership also in, in, in the 60s. And then later on, of course, you had Wayne Rooney came in. Mark Hughes, of course, came in, Wayne Rooney. So you've had some great, great um, centre forwards. And of course, Van Nistelrooy was in there, he came in. Uh, you know, so a lot of forwards to, uh, to choose from. Uh, but I still believe that, that for me, uh, the best centre forward or the best goal scorer still still uh, holds the record in FA, FA Cup goals for Manchester United. A great goal scorer for Scotland held the re- still I think he still holds the record as Scottish top goal scorer would be Dennis Law. I'd find it very difficult to leave Dennis out as my out and out striker up front. If you're looking off the front, then you've got all sorts of players to choose from. You know. Players like Cantona come into it, Van Nistelrooy comes into it. Uh, but of course, you know, how can you leave Bobby Charlton out? You know, as, 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 as you've, got to, you've got to have Bobby in somewhere. Mm. And I think off the front as the number 10 uh, supporting uh, is probably the position I'd pick him in, in my side. Mm. Bobby could play anywhere across the front. He could play inside left. He could even play left wing. He played a few years on the left wing. Uh, mm. He could play midfield. He could play anywhere. But I think just think that position just off the front where he could help out the midfield uh, and when you hear my wingers you, you, you won't be too worried about scoring <laughs> scoring goals uh, you know with Dennis up front so um, uh, you know been some great strikers for the club but I think I think probably Dennis up front 
with Van Nistelrooy on the bench and Bobby Charlton just off the front with Cantona on the bench because I think Cantona challenges in that position as well. Great, great player there. You know, when you think Eric was at the club for five years, four of those years we, we, we won the league and two of those we did the double. And I actually believe that if he hadn't been sent off uh, at Crystal Palace, we'd have actually won, done the double three years on the trot because we'd just lost the league by one point and we lost the cup final by one goal. I think with Eric in the side there that year, we'd have, we'd have done the double in 95 as well. So, uh, you know, fantastic career. But I still can't pick him in front of Bobby in that position just off the front. So, um, again, difficult, but... Uh, you know, when you think that Dennis and Bobby were both European footballers of the year as well. Yeah, that, that, that's that's a big thing for me, especially looking at this selection of the forward uh, four players. That that's such a critical thing, Paddy, with with um, the credentials there. But Bobby Charlton, for example, for generations he was the top scorer for England and and for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dennis Law, <laughs> to my mind, the um, perfect striker. But um, when we're talking about the versatility of this team, <laughs> Dennis Law's a, got a funny story about him, hasn't he? Well, Dennis. Dennis told me when, when I was researching one of my books um, that uh, he played out of position uh, almost throughout his career with Manchester United. Um, Martin may be able to, to just finesse that slightly, but um, that's what he basically said to me, that he came to United, his vision of himself was as a sort of Brian Robson type player, you know, all all action midfielder who could score goals as well as as Brian obviously did uh, for England as well as as United. Um, but I was amazed at this because I, I, you know, I just thought of him as 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 one of the world's great strikers of his time. Uh, and he said, no, no, he said I was, that. And, and of course, going back to his time at Huddersfield, he came to the fore as an eighteen-year-old under Shankly and Andy Beatty down at Huddersfield and he was he was an 18 year old uh, midfield player um, who, who could score and um, so it was extraordinary to think that uh, that Matt had played him out of position all that time um, one just one little uh, other tiny thing is um, that manager Martin Edwards is that he's not afraid to take tough decisions because anybody middle aged uh, listening to this, anybody from 30 to 50 listening to this will say, how, how can you leave out Eric Cantona, arguably the most influential single player on the history, in the history yeah. of Manchester United, arguably, even above Duncan Edwards in terms of the catalyst for success, and Paul Scholes. Mm. But let me tell you that Bobby Charlton was better than Paul Scholes and uh, whether you believe it or not he was mu- he was he was uh, maybe a, a grade above Paul Scholes he was a he was in the 1960s he was a synonym for English football you know mm. you would you, you, you know people all over the world you would meet them and English you know not everybody talked English in those days but they knew the words Bobby Charlton mm. that was that was the stature of the man, so that even Scholes, even Cantona, yes, would have to uh, would have to bow to Charlton once again. Uh, uh, I would thoroughly endorse uh, Martin's selections uh, yeah. for for his numbers nine and ten. 
but he's wingers. Uh, that this is this is the test. So far, he's got 100% record, in my opinion. <laughs> but he, 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 let's see who his wingers are. Yeah, it, it is right. I mean, you you mentioned well, Martin mentioned their loan chart and two players who could have played at different positions and often did um, in various times in their career. Charlton, a little bit of a nod I, I want to give to him um, because. Yes, perhaps he didn't have the dribbling style of some of the players we're about to mention, but if you watch him play, it's the way that he glided with the ball. In a way that Scholesy didn't do that, he could move with the ball so gracefully. And it wasn't all about thunderbolts from um, 30 yards. His positioning and his sort of the way that he knew how to move into areas was just extraordinary. You know, that area where when he was at his peak for, for club and country, just a, an incredible player and it's not just about appearances and goal records go back and watch footage of Charlton playing there's plenty of it available and you'll I think people would develop a new um, appreciation for him so I think some people look at the legend Paddy they look at Sir Bobby Charlton they look at the fact he was synonymous with English mm. football and it kind the actual quality of the player gets lost sometimes mm. um, having said that there's no danger of anyone undervaluing the quality of the final two selections of Martin's side um, um, but the winger area again if we're talking about where United are blessed with talent the winger area is is one of the premium positions in the team um, Martin it's interesting to know where you went with this and how you ended and settled with the, the two that you did the, the club's always been known for its, its attacking play and its wingers and when I first started watching United, the two wingers were Warren Bradley, who played for England on the right wing. He was an amateur before Munich and then turned pro, played for England, and Albert Scanlon on the left wing, who was also a bit of a flyer, and, and was in the team before before Munich. Um, then, of course, you, that was in the 60s. In the 70s, of course, you had uh, uh, Koppel and Hill, two very exciting wingers, and, uh, you know, all those that remember United in the 70s, they all talk about Hill and Koppel because they, they, uh, they were so exciting. Uh, and Koppel, Koppel, of course, had a great career with, uh, with England before he got injured as well. Um, in the 80s, you then you had Gordon Strachan and Olsen on the wings, again, attacking players. That was sort of befitting the style of the, uh, the club. And then, of course, you go to the 90s. You, in the early 90s, you had Lee Sharp there. And then, of course, you had um, uh, Giggs on the left and Beckham on the right. Again, very, uh, very exciting uh, players. Uh, and, of course, in, in, the, in the 60s, you, you had uh, Best and Aston who, who were playing. And, and you had John Connelly who came in for a while. And Best went to the left and Connelly came in on the right. And he was a very, very useful player for the club for, for a, a, a few years. Where would Kanchelskis fit, fit into that? Would he come into consideration? Um, before Beckham, just before Beckham. Yeah. Uh, and was there for three or four years and, and did, did, did very well. And then until he went to Everton and then Beckham, but I think Alec let him go because he had Beckham in the wings. I see. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so he went, he, again, very, very useful, uh, useful player. So we've had plenty of good wingers. But, you know, when you look at the, 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 the two best of all that, uh, had to, and of course I've not mentioned him uh, yet, Ronaldo, when Beckham left, um, Alec was happy to let Beckham go because he, 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 he had Ronaldo lined up. Um, and of course we, we all know what happened with Ronaldo and of course he was there in 2008 when we won the, the Champions League 
gone on to be, I think it's five times World Player of the Year. Um, you know, absolutely incredible. So uh, you couldn't you couldn't leave him out. Uh, he'd have to be my my right winger, and the left winger again absolutely speaks for itself. The outstanding player of the, of the outstanding winger of the the sixties. Again, a world class player, European Football of the Year, George Best. I just th- those two for me are the absolute outstanding wingers of all the players we've mentioned. There were some good players there, but you'll not get better than those two anywhere. Both world-class, both outstanding, both scored goals for fun from the wing, and you could play them anywhere. anywhere. The thing about the whole team is the versatility of it. When you think Law could play, you were right before you, when you were talking about Dennis Law, Dennis Law could play midfield. He, he, you know, he could play midfield, he could play up front. Bobby could play midfield, left wing, up front, wherever you want. Best could play right or left or up front. Ronaldo could play right or up front. You know, it's the versatility. Uh, you know, and then when you you, you you look at the bench, you know, you, you've got people like Cantona on the bench and, and, and uh, Scholes and great players. You know what I mean? It's the whole mm. it's the whole mix and versatility of the of of, of, of the team, really. A little bit, a little bit about George Martin, if you don't mind. Um, we talk about Ronaldo as the standout player of the that European Cup winning team, as as he was. He was uh, he scored the most goals. He won the the Ballon d'Or, and everyone has got a recent enough picture of Ronaldo um, playing for United, and they, they know the qualities that he brings to the side. Does it put it into a different perspective that George was the Europe? He was the best player in a team that had Europe two all. They already had two European players of the year in, and also that when we won the European Cup, he scored a goal that came directly from his imagination as well. Does that sort of underline how good George was? Yeah, I mean he unlocked the door in that in that final. You know, we we go into extra time and all the rest of it, and George produces this fantastic goal to put us two one up in extra time. And it all went on from there. Uh, the thing about George was uh, the tragedy for George was that the you know the. He was the youngster in that team, one of the youngsters in that team. And once the team had won the European Cup, it was almost as though they, they took the foot off the pedal a little bit. And George got very frustrated. He was only like 22 when we won the European Cup. Mm. He had years ahead of him. But the team was going downhill slightly. One or two of the players, Bill Fouts and uh, Shea Brennan and uh, uh, even probably Paddy, one or two of the players were getting a little bit older yeah, yeah, yeah. and took the foot off the pedal. And that frustrated George. And that's when his problems began. We, we, George could have gone on for, for many more years at the, at the top. But when you think about it, he probably started at 25, he started to go downhill. At 27, he was finished at United. I mean, today, he, he could have gone on with modern treatment and all the rest of it. He could probably gone on another seven years for, 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 for United at the top. Think of all the records he would have um, broken. You know what I mean? He was a fantastic, fantastic... Well, if yeah. you put Cristiano uh, Ronaldo's longevity, I mean, he's still at the top, playing at the top level. At was he 35, 36? Uh, you know, if if George could have had an extra eight years, I mean, the mind boggles, doesn't it? And he he still scored 178 goals for us, even in the short career he had. You know what I mean? So it's amazing, really, from the wing. And I, I must tell you a story about George. People who never saw him. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's legend that he was glamorous, he was exciting, uh, it, you know, with his flowing dark hair and, and, and fantastic, you know, physique. And, and, and also, it must be said, his mischief 
um, you know, the, the hand in the ball to the defender as if to say, well, you obviously want it that much. Why don't you have it? Take it home with you. Um, and he did have a lot to put up with. But one memory I have of his athleticism, I mean, this was a phenomenal athlete as well as a great technician and a, one, and a great entertainer. We were, uh, we, you were playing Liverpool <laughs> and I was, uh, I was, it was many, many years ago and I used to watch City one week, United the next and I was standing at what was called in those days the Warwick Road end, which would now be the end uh, bordered by Sir Matt Busby Way. And um, it was open at that time. I remember standing about halfway up the terracing there and Liverpool had a corner. It was taken by a winger that... Um, certainly Martin will remember, called Peter Thompson, very good right-footed left-winger that Liverpool had, an, an outstanding set-piece deliverer. And he took this, and the centre-half, who was a giant called Ron Yeats, a Scotsman from Aberdeen, uh, and a very, very good, good centre-half, but huge. Um, uh, and he came forward for this corner... And he leapt, and knowing Peter Thompson would put it on a sixpence, he leapt, and I, I swear, standing behind the goal, I saw him, his neck muscles flex as he prepared to head this ball past Alex Stepney. But before he could do that, uh, a red-clad, uh, Liverpool were playing in white, they're away strip, a red-clad sort of imp jumped above him this massive man who, at the height of his leap, jumped a one foot above him and headed the ball away so forcefully that, in, certainly in my recollection, it nearly reached the halfway line. That was George. He could have been a centre-half. <laughs> <laughs> he, he could do anything. It's just, it, again, it speaks volumes of the versatility, but I think Martin said it best when he looked at George's goal record, 178 yeah. goals at the, the age of 27. And, and yes, we do have this tendency to look... I mean, we're talking a, a week or so after Diego Maradona passed away and everyone's celebrating what Diego did, and, and rightly so. And I think people perhaps because of the fact that there were so many years spent away from United, people have a tendency to look at what could have been uh, instead of what actually was. And I think Martin, including George in his team, speaks volumes for what he achieved while he was at the club and how good he was. Um, yeah. Just an incredible player. And, and like uh, we were alluding to earlier, you've got four European players of the year in the front four, and you can't argue with that when well, you're looking. I was just thinking, Wayne, as you were saying that, it's just as well, Diego Maradona, you mentioned the great Diego Maradona, and of course every Man United fan of a certain age will remember uh, the day when he came to Old Trafford and was out-Maradonaed by Brian Robson on a memorable victory for, for United um, against Barcelona. But I was just thinking, <laughs> Martin is very, very lucky boy, really, because it's lucky that he never signed... Diego Maradona for United because who would he have dropped out of that front four to get Maradona in? It doesn't bear thinking about and I'm not going to put him on the spot by asking him because it would not be fair. No, but, um, the, well you mentioned that but there's two notable omissions and we've talked through all of these players and there are two players that I, I want to mention just to briefly um, refer them to Martin. Um, 
There's the top scorer in the club's history now, Wayne Rooney, and the highest appearance maker and the most successful player in the in British history. Oh well, in English football history, maybe not Scottish football history. Ryan Giggs, um, two players there, uh, Martin. Um, I'm not going to ask you for your reasons why they they're excluded, but it just goes to show how blessed we've been, um, and especially how blessed you've been to watch all, all these incredible players play for the club that they don't make the eleven. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you're right there. I did pick Giggs, by the way, uh, as uh, on the bench to cover for either Gig to cover for uh, Ronaldo or Best. Um, and although Giggs was mainly on the left, whoever got injured there, George could play on the right, or, or Ronaldo could yeah. play right or left. So you got plenty of versatility there. So I did pick Giggs in the squad. Rooney, um, again, to leave Rooney out, but but. Where would I be playing Rooney? I'd either be playing him. The choice was down to the three between Bobby Charlton, uh, Cantona, and Rooney for that number ten off the front. So, mm. again, um, you know, unlucky not not to be in. But but I did pick Cantona and Bobby ahead of him, uh, he, as good as Rooney was. So, uh, you know, difficult. But you've just got to make your choices, haven't you? Yeah, it, it, it is quite extraordinary to reflect that for, for many people listening to this, uh, young, you know, people of, of middle age or younger, for, for, for Martin Edwards to pick a, a team, which in my opinion was spot on from 1 to 11, that didn't include not only Rooney, but in my opinion, more pertinently, Cantona Giggs, one of the greatest wingers that's ever played in English football, mm. in my opinion, and... Um, and uh, skulls. I mean, they will be open mouthed. But all I can say is, having seen all the players, I'm with uh, with Martin on every from one to eleven. Yeah, you almost think you're almost tempted to pick an eleven to go against them, aren't you? From United's yeah, history. Yeah, yeah, and let's see. Who, yeah, play them off against each other. That'd be incredible. <laughs> I, and Nobby Styles would be in it. <laughs> he'd, he'd probably do a man marking job on. Roy Keane, that'd be something to see. <laughs> um, before we close out, Martin, give you one last chance to run through the 11. Well, in goal, I'm going for Peter Schmeichel. At right back, I'm going for Dennis Irwin. At left back, I'm going for Tony Dunn. At right centre back, I'm going for Yapstam. At left centre back, I'm going for Rio Ferdinand. My two midfield players is right side in midfield Keane, left side in midfield Robson. I'm going for uh, Ronaldo on the right wing, Best on the left wing, Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law up front. Incredible team that um, that was the best eleven in Manchester United history then, as chosen by former chairman Martin Edwards. As we have discussed, you can read about that in a Martin's excellent book, Red Glory, which I all heartedly recommend. A fascinating read about the club and Martin's involvement in his memories as well of following United as a as a child and adult as well, and the decisions decisions that he took um, over his ownership and everything like that. Just a fascinating read. I'd, I'd really do recommend it. And I'm sure I also speak for Paddy when I thank Martin not only for his time but his um, crucial assistance in our own work as well. It is deeply appreciated. Um, not least this podcast, which has been a real pleasure to do. Um, we hope that you enjoyed it, and we'll be back soon with another Best Eleven.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.